Good morning, everybody, and over my shoulder foundation land. Today we have Patty Austin with us. Yay! And Alex. Yay! Yay! And Elizabeth. Yay! Yay! Hi, everyone. Good morning. Um, and we wanted to talk today about the power of music. Last episode, we were able to talk about about our last Over My Shoulder production with the Cabot Theater, which is celebrating their big birthday on December 3rd. So everybody should res um, get their reservations in for that um, online celebration. Um, and what I found so amazing was, is that was January, the beginning of our year. And Patty um, had created a very special song list for that night. And none of us knew what was going to happen next. None of us knew that COVID would um, pause our lives, cause so much trauma. And I started thinking about the set list. So today we're going to talk about the iconic songs that were part of Patty's set list. And um, because I think we need this music more than ever. We're entering a holiday season that usually is full of joy and gratitude, but we've lost over a million sweet souls to this COVID pandemic. And so much uncertainty is in our air. So with that, we're going to talk about the power of music. We are going to um, suggest that you listen and lean on music. Um, and let's take it away. Who's going to have the first question? What's the list? What was the songs? <laughs> oh, yeah, that list. Let's talk about the list. So, um, we have the amazing um, Bill Withers song, who we lost sadly a few months ago, Lean On Me. And, um, you know, one of the greatest songs about the joys of friendship. And um, we had that song. Then we had What the World Needs Now, a 1965 song that is more relevant today than I think it was then. It just goes to show that we need these type of songs. And then we have The Love Train, written that was a big hit with the OJs. And lastly, we have the Over My Shoulder song. Um, so Patty, let's talk about Bill Withers. Tell us about Lean On Me and, and how that's become such an anthem to our lives. Oh God, uh, do you have a couple of days? <laughs> um, uh, where do I begin? Well, let's see, just, I guess I, I, I guess I can start, I'll start with uh, meeting and meeting with and working uh, with Bill Withers. Uh, probably, I would say, 70s, late 70s. Um, I was doing a lot of projects with a, a, a group of magnificent musicians um, uh, who had a company called Antesia Music, and it was uh, uh, Ralph McDonald, Bill Salters, uh, Bill, Bill Eaton, Arthur Jenkins. That was pretty much the original group of guys. And and uh, Bill and... and Ralph uh, were uh, the composers of just the two of us. They worked with Grover Washington. They worked with uh, Bill Withers, and um, they worked with uh, who else were they working with at the time? They were doing everything on CTI. This is really this is some inside jazzer history, guys. And um, CTI was a popular. Uh, I will say cultish record label that had such artists as Esther Phillips and Bob James and um, Amir Diodato and 
Um, I don't know if anybody remembers a very cool version of 2001. Da, da, da. It had a groove. They put a groove on the 2001 thing. That was, uh, I think that was Amir J. Dotto. And that song became a big hit and kind of made the label very big. And then Bob James had a bunch of hits on there. And so this was like this circle of musicians that were writing together working together, creating music together. And part of that pond, and the reason that I got on CTI was because of the guys at Antigia Music who had heard songs that I had written, and they started publishing my songs. And I was doing backgrounds at that time, uh, and I was actually what they call a contractor. So I was singing on uh, recordings, singing backgrounds, and hiring other singers to do the backgrounds with me. So I was asked by Ralph McDonald, who was getting ready to do a session with this guy named Bill Withers, to come in and uh, backgrounds on a song. Now, the, rolling the tape ahead a bit with this story, many, many years later, uh, one of the members of Antigia Music, who I'm still very dear friends with, sent me a tune, uh, I'd say about two weeks after Bill had passed away, the other bill uh, sent me a song that I had um, done on that first session that I did with Bill Withers as a background singer. And the funny thing about it was I played the song, he sent me the song and I started listening to the tune and I'm saying, boy, this sounds familiar. And I knew that I had done backgrounds on some stuff with Bill Withers, but I could never really remember, you know, many years later, you do a whole bunch of sessions. I would do like four sessions in a day. So I didn't always remember everything I sang on. Sometimes I'll be standing in a supermarket and here's something I'm doing some backgrounds on. And it's, it's just hilarious. So I was literally uh, three quarters of the way through the song and the backgrounds in this particular song don't come in until what we call the fade, which goes, you know, you have a, a lick that goes around over and over and over again. And we were that lovely little repetitive line at the end. And it got almost to the end and all of a sudden the background parts jumped into my head and I began to sing along. And I was like, now, am I remembering that because I sang on it or because I heard it uh, somehow and absorbed it, but don't really remember it. And so I immediately called Bill and I said, am I singing on that? (laughs) Are you trying to tell me I'm singing on that cut? And he said, yes, you are. So that's where my relationship with Bill Withers begins. And I did maybe about three or four different sessions with Bill through through the years. He was tremendously shy. He was, um, he had a very bad problem with stuttering, which I personally, to be totally honest, found kind of sexy. And... Um, uh, he was, there was just something very gentle and extremely kind and wonderful about him. Uh, and that was the side that I always saw. Mm-hmm. And he was, to me, his writing, his lyrics were genius. And I think perhaps the reason, uh, uh, the reason I think they were so brilliant is because he always went for like a minimum <laughs> minimum exchange of words to tell the maximum story uh, and and that's one of the things i love so much about lean on me that lyric is 
so simple. It couldn't be any simpler. And yet it is the essence of existence, <laughs> you know, and, and not that I don't love poetry and flowery language, but it's just like, here it is, you know, tomorrow it could be me. Today it's you. <laughs> Today I must be the best human being I can be and do for you what I would want you to do for me. That's what the song is saying. And that's, that's, that's like a rule of life, but he brings it to life in such, such a beautiful basic way. And I think because he stuttered, he was used to mentally having to use an economy of words to express himself because he didn't want to put himself out there too much when he went to speak. So the brain automatically, you know, defends his, <laughs> defends his process and says, okay, how do I say this quickly? Because if I have to, like, get into it, I'm going to start stuttering. And so, you know, lovely day. Hello? <laughs> <laughs> lovely day. Does it get any cooler than that? It's like a chant to the wonderfulness of, of the day in the morning. I roll over, I look in your face, and I, when I look at you, the, the world's all right with me. You know, come on. It's just beautiful, beautiful, simple, right like a, like a laser. So that's where Lean On Me came from in the first place. The, my love of that song, my love of his writing, uh, my love for Bill. And then we carry that on many years later. Uh, but this is way in the back of the vault, and I, I got to do this song, I got to do this song, got to do this song. And I'm doing a project with Greg, the magnificent Greg Philan Gaines, who's musical director for everybody from Quincy Jones to Michael Jackson to Stevie Wonder to Lionel Richie to, to you know, Greg has just worked with everybody, uh, played keyboards for everybody from Clapton to Elton to, you know, he works with all, with all the Brits all the beautiful Brit boys, and, and he's just an amazing musician, composer, arranger, conductor. And we were working on something together, and I, oh, I, actually, we were working on a project I was doing together, and I said, Greg, I want to do Lean On Me, and he kind of rolled his eyes. He said, why do you always come up with these mundane? I said, I know, everybody sings it when they get drunk, but there's a song in there, and, and nobody's really gone for it. And I just think this song is operatic. And, and so hit it, Greg. And, and Greg, Greg has a very silly routine he goes through where he walks like Groucho Marx. He, he pretends to have a cigar in his hand and he paces back and forth like Groucho Marx used to do. And this is really an old time reference. But anyway, go, go look at your Marx Brothers movies, people. That's a little aside, a little footnote. And uh, he started pacing back and forth and he sat down at the piano and he began uh, the intro uh, on the song. And, and I just started to sing the song. And that's how that arrangement came to be. And then I started doing the song in uh, live performances. And one of the things that, that made me perform the tune, aside from the fact that I knew that it was going to have a different meaning because of the way we were doing it, because we'd slowed the tempo down, because we turned it into this kind of prayer, um, that it would have a different effect. And, and, and I wanted to have that effect within the arc of the show that I was doing. So I started performing the song live and people really started loving it. And I had people come up to me and go, I had no idea what you were singing until you got to the chorus. And then I realized, oh my God, that's what that song, <laughs> that's what that song is about. 
you know. And I love doing that with a song that everybody thinks they know, but they don't really, because when it was made, it was made to accommodate a certain popular genre, as opposed to necessarily going in deep with what they were trying to say. A lot of times writers compromise uh, their lyric for the for the for the style of the moment. So there are a lot of songs that that sound real poppy and and you know kind of groovy at the time, and you're not thinking of the total significance of them. So I kind of like to dig into that vault of material that's that's done uh, with a lot of heart and soul, but a lot of that gets commercialized. Right. But the but the heart and the soul of the song are still there. So and. Backdrop to all of the musical references, there was a lot of stuff going on in our lives at the time that I started introducing the tune into the show. And because I travel on the road all the time and I'm seeing all the effects of everything in all of these different cultures and societies that I work in front of as an artist, I'm seeing a lot of trouble in the world, not just in my neighborhood, because I can't live in a bubble. I wish I could sometimes, but because of the work that I do, I cannot be in a bubble. I have to, I have to absorb everything around me so that I can relate to what that is so that I can do something artistically that might draw you in. So the thing that I'm realizing in, and I'm going to, I keep putting it in this 10 year frame, but it's kind of in a 10, 15 year frame. I'm just seeing a deterioration of integrity. I'm seeing a deterioration of caring. I'm just, it's just kind of falling apart, but it's really, it's, it's, it just needs a little, a little swiffer, a little swiffer action, a little dust. Get the dust off. This will be okay. We have to ask Lifter for an endorsement on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh... What What did you say, Don? I'm sorry. What did you say? We need Swifter to become a sponsor on the show. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's just a little hint. That's my advertising years. Yeah. Bypass that now. Um, No, but I, I, um, uh, I just saw this deterioration. So I felt that this song would um, get people in touch with that, you know, and maybe and maybe make them think about how important it, it is for us to relate. So the song stayed in the show, and um, it, it's always a surefire grabber uh, because it's it's where people it's where people innately want to go. Right. It's what they want to believe. And, and of course, the, the song just perpetuates that idea in such a beautiful, 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 beautiful way. I never get tired of singing it. I've had nights when I've had to sing that song uh, the day after, a, uh, <laughs> the morning after a mass shooting, you know? That song becomes a whole other song because of what we're enduring at that moment. So I always say before I start to sing the song, fortunately and unfortunately, this is still my anthem. Yeah. Yeah, so. it's, it's, it's a powerful song. And I think it's, it's very um, appropriate for Over My Shoulder, what we talk about. So definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. What, 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 would, what would be your second choice? Uh, he has a lot of songs and I'm always curious as to, to you to how an artist chooses which one to perform, you know, because I, I well, love his other songs as well. Yeah, I, you know, I always, um, I'm very theatrical when I put a show together and it takes me a long time to put a show together. I kind of put my shows together like comedians do by 
um, when I'm working smaller venues and the, the fun thing about my career is that I'm not uh, uh, strung to arenas and 30,000 seaters. Um, I, I do concerts for 30,000 people. I've done concerts for 50, 60,000 people in Brazil and, and uh, Europe and in Poland and, you know, all, all over the place. But then uh, uh, two weeks later, I might be working in a, in a, in a private club that holds 50 people. And, and, and that's a different audience. And, um, and so it, it, I have to have a show that can adapt to either one of those circumstances. And the best way to do that is to create a, a, a show, a, a musical show that's really like a theater piece because that translates to all genres. If it's, if it's, if the book is strong, if, if what you're saying uh, has meaning kind of has eternal meaning, then you create more of an experience than just sitting through somebody singing a bunch of songs strung together. If, if there, if there's a story somewhere in there, if there's an arc somewhere in there, if there's some real exuberance and happiness somewhere in in there, which is why I referred to Lovely Day with Bill Withers. That song is just like, there are some, ha I call them happy songs, you know, you're my first, my last, my everything, happy song. Uh, 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 um, lovely Day, happy song. It's a beautiful day, you two, happy song. Just comes from just pure joy. Uh, and you want to have that in your show. You know, you want to have that moment where everybody just lights up and then you want to bring them all the way down to the dregs. Oh, my God, make them cry. And then you bring them back up again. So there's like a way to do this. And I refer back to doing it like a comedian because most comics don't just write their show and go out and do it. And it's fabulous. No, they 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 write their show. Uh, they come up with the structure. They go out and they do these different kinds of venues. You know, I don't think there's a comic in the world that doesn't go try their stuff out before they do it. If they're like an arena status comedian, they don't, they don't go out and, and, and do the show in front of the arena first. They try that stuff out on a, on a bunch of really lucky uh, individuals who go to a small place and happen to catch them there. Right. I call it the, I call it the Prince mentality. You know, Prince used to do a concert for, you know, thousands of people. And then he'd go to a small club and, and work, work off the fire. <laughs> and anybody that was lucky enough to be at the bar that night saw the show of their freaking life, probably saw a better show than the people in the arena. But mm -hmm. so, and you know what I'm talking about, Don. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're in the business, you see that. So you learn all of that. And when you put a show together, that's how you try to do it. And Bill Withers is just a tremendous source. Of course, every song that he's written now has um, <laughs> gone completely drained from my mind. Um, uh, uh, who is she and what is she to you? Oh, Lordy. <laughs> no sunshine. Yeah, ain't, ain't, no, ain't no sunshine. Ain't no sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> ain't no sunshine. Yeah. You know, oh, I talk, so talk about the range. There we go again with range of joy and just yeah. disaster, you know? And so when you put that together no. in one show, 
la-di-da. Your audience walks away feeling more than you feel when you just hear. You know, a perfect example is, uh, I don't know if any of you guys have seen, and if you haven't, I recommend this so highly on HBO. David Byrne, Spike Lee got together. David took his material, or should I say Mr. Byrne, after seeing the show, took his material and, and created a theatrical piece out of it that's absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. It's brilliant because the book is brilliant. His music is brilliant. And he decided to go inside and reveal his self as a person and his and his arc of growth as as a man and use his material that he's written through the years to tell this story. And it's it's visually amazing and it's musically brilliant. And uh, the people on stage with him are all stars. And I want some money from HBO for giving them a really good review. Because <laughs> I, 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 no, it's, it's, but it's an example of what I'm talking about. These are songs that he's recorded through the years that he's been able to assemble in a way that it creates a theatrical piece, a very powerful theatrical piece. So that's what I, that's my uh, thinking process. That's how I go about putting a show together. That's how I go about picking material. That's why uh, um, Bill Withers is is a great um, treasure trove of material for me because he, you know, we just named four songs that each cover a different aspect of, of a person's life. You know, sheer happiness, love, loss of love, loss of affection. Nothing wrong with that. Regaining your strength. Especially Nothing wrong now. with any of yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Elizabeth, you're 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 the next generation. I gotta ask you, have you have you heard of Bill Withers before? <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, that's a great question. Actually, I want to thank uh, Patty. Um, remember your concert back in 2017 in Kiev Theater in Manila? Yeah, I remember I was all there. of my performances. Yeah. Get out of here. Stop. I was there, and oh, that's man. the very first time I heard oh. that, that song, Lean On Me. Wow. And everybody was just so quiet, but Patty always starts with this really nice, um, you know, intro before <laughs> she sang the song. <laughs> <laughs> And then the background, oh. you know, the intro of this Lean On Me uh, was already, like, playing while she was talking. It's just, like, so awesome. And, oh. yeah, I really, really loved it. And I was like, what is this song? I've never heard of this before. Yeah. And I Googled it. And, yeah, you know you know what I like about old songs, like, on 80s, 70s, 60s? Right. It's, like, so easy to, like, sing along because it's so easy to memorize their lyrics, right? Right? Yes. It's not yes. so complicated compared to like, oh, you know, man. like Taylor's <laughs> song. It's like this yeah. new song, like Fenrir. Seriously, oh. that's why I do love old songs because Interesting. Wow. there's only like four stanzas and then a chorus and then you repeat it again. Yeah. I just, yeah. and the wording for me, I just love it. It does the lean on me. Oh. It's so easy for me to memorize, like lean on me. Yeah. And it's so good. I yeah. really, really. <laughs> I'm yeah. so thankful that I heard that from you because I wow. I don't think I well yeah they don't really sing that song and it's just amazing the lyrics is perfect I think yeah especially for this this time wow. this, during this pandemic right we all need I, absolutely absolutely yeah we we need everybody we need 
to to unite and uh, yeah it's just an amazing song and there is another song that i love that i think you were part of it too it's like we you know the song of michael jackson we are the, we are the world and uh, oh that's really weird i was just thinking of thought and you just yanked it out of my head right now, that's, you're scaring me elizabeth and i'm gonna tell <laughs> you you're gonna freak out when i tell you why you're scaring me I really? was thinking well, about, uh -huh. no, this is really weird. I was thinking while you're talking, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, wow, this is kind of an interesting thing. I wonder if I should mention this. I guess so. It, it, it's very relevant. Uh, the power, um, let's call it the power of lean on me. So mm -hmm. I was one of the co-producers of the second We Are the World, which was done as a result of Haiti and the earthquake. Mm -hmm. And Quincy called me. They were getting ready to do this thing at the same time that they had done it the last time, which was the day after the Grammys, or right after the Grammys, I think, is when they did it the first time. Because everybody was in town, and they were able to get them all in the studio at the same time to, to do the original We Are the World. So they decided to do the song over, a little bit different, a little more modernized arrangement. And Mervyn Warren and I did the vocal arrangement together, and I was there to conduct the all-star choir. And, um, and it was a, a, a star-studded day, to say the least, before me, uh, because there was such a large group of people. Mervyn conducted one side of the room, and I conducted the other. Mm -hmm. And my side of the room in front of me was um, Pink, uh, Celine Dion, um oh god what's her name she went uh she was constantly um oh this is so terrible please don't hate me i'm just old and senile um um um, um uh oh lord she's she always she's she became known for doing uh crazy things with her tongue that i think reaches down to her her chest miley um, yes miley cyrus who by the way uh Oh, we're talking no makeup, one of the prettiest girls I've ever seen. I mean, just like really raw beauty. I was amazed because I'd never seen her without, you know, everything <laughs> flying at once. <laughs> so I was, and, and so they're all, they're all standing there in front of me. That's just a part of the group that I'm conducting. Okay. And over to the right is like Jeff Bridges, who I actually already know because I worked with him on Tucker and Vince Vaughn who I did not know was a Republican, but we'll talk later. And, <laughs> and uh, um, uh, 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 oh God, um, country Western, Nicole's husband, um, uh, Australian. Keith Urban. Keith Urban. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to think of who uh, all is in the- uh, uh, Don, you're like our Google today. You're, you're <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, she's my she's my brain. Are you kidding? Where's that, that medication that you take for your brain, prevazone? She's my living prevazone. Don, you're so good. You're so good. So that's the just imagine that group of people in the room. That's who's in the room. We do about four takes of we are the world, right? Mm. Doing a new new version. And, the, and they have, we're going through technical problems because they're trying to video while we're trying to record. And it's a lot, of, it, it, it makes for a big clash of the Titans because the, the, the visual crew is making noise, their equipment's making noise, and we're trying to do a recording. So guys, can you hold on, you know, so that debate starts 
and everybody's kind of in the corner of the room. And all of a sudden, from this room full of people that I just described to you, that's only like a third of who was in the room. And you saw that I needed help to get through half of that list. <laughs> list. It's a long time ago, people. And all of a sudden you hear, sometimes in our lives, we all have pain. They went into Lean On Me. Everybody in the room, acapella, sang Lean On Me. I, gotta, I just got to chill. Describe really? They, they just, they yeah. just uh, like spontaneously went into... Just broke into it. Wow. And had just finished doing We Are the World like three or four times, running it down, you know, make sure we got the arrangement right and everybody's senses on the right parts and all that stuff. And just, you know, just like from the soul. Here we go again. From the soul, from the heart. That's what happened. And I remember thinking to myself, we should probably be doing that instead. (laughs) Instead. Because it was just, or... You know, as always, I find the best stuff is the spontaneous stuff. And I was just saying, God, I hope somebody recorded that. I never actually got to ask Quincy if anybody recorded that because I don't think they did, though. I don't think we were too busy arguing about sound and stuff. But it was such a moment, such a moment. And it was almost like when they got to the uh, to the chorus, they just couldn't stop. Everybody started clapping and it just turned into a, a bacchanal. From that song. That's what a song can do. That's what a really great song can do. How about that? Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. Let's talk about another great song. So, the what the world needs now. Speaking of world. I mean, yeah. Speaking of world, right? Yeah. Another song with such simplicity. I love how you um, refer to these songs as prayers because if ever yeah. there was. And to, uh, you know, cross every border, cross every belief, everything right now, yeah. it would be this song. Um, well, that went into my show. Um, I was doing, uh, was I in Vegas? I think I might have been in Vegas or somewhere like Vegas. I was doing like a casino gig. And um, uh, sadly, it was... Uh, the day after, I think it was the day after the shootings in Vegas. And anybody that knows me uh, well knows that I'm a, a, a true um, lion, a true Leo. And uh, I hate injustice. It makes me nuts. And I go like stark raving, <laughs> stark raving mad. But there's a point, uh, astrologically speaking, after a Leo explodes, there's kind of like a come down. And the come down always lands in the same place. And it's a place of, you know what? All of this has got to stop and be replaced with love or we will not live to see another happy day. I didn't say we're not going to live to see another day. I said we're not going to live to see another happy day. And to me, another day on earth without happiness might as well be, (laughs) might as well not be alive because you're not. You're not. So I had reached that point. After all of that had happened, I went through my anger phase, my rage phase, and I was just at the, you know what, guys, we got to start loving each other. What? And I, I remember being, I'm getting ready to cry talking about this. I remember being in my, ah, being in my hotel room that night, the night of the show, and um 
I got on the phone and called my musical director and uh, the fabulous, we call him the Great Dane. His name is Kim Hansen. And I called Kim and I said, do you know um, what the world needs now is love, sweet love? He said, yeah. Uh, I said, I want to do it tonight. Uh, he said, well, well, I know you. How do you want to do it? I said, well, <laughs> I'm going to keep it simple for you. Let's find uh, the either Dion's version or Dusty's version, or I don't remember who did it originally, but let's, let's go straight ahead with the original version. But let's slow it down. And that's, I got to do that tonight. Got to do it. Well, and that's how that song got in my show. Yeah. And we did it that night, and I told the audience, you know, I said, this is hard stuff. This is, why are we going through this? We really, 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 really need to understand ourselves better. And I did this whole little, you know, speech about how I, how I was enraged by it and how I just know that we've got to just remove this rage we've got to replace it with this wonderful thing and i spoke a little bit about Bert Bacharach because um i have a backstory <laughs> i have a backstory with Bacharach. i i did backgrounds with Bert. i started out working with him on um the lost horizon project uh, it was a, a project unfortunately that he did that was really failed but it he worked on it for a very long time and I was working on it, doing backgrounds and contracting and all that stuff with him. So I got to know Bert very well. And every now and then did some, this was during my background singing days, did some live gigs with him. And um, so, you know, obviously you do a concert with Bert Backrack, you're gonna do that song because that song is the anthem. And um, so I told that story and, uh, and said, this is it guys and went into the song and there wasn't a dry eye in the house and people just lost it and I lost it and it was cathartic and uh, it stayed in the show forevermore but it all happened in the same same night totally like 55 guys, it was like guys hit it and be flat and there we <laughs> that, yeah it was amazing the the song was released April 15th, 1965. That was like 55 years ago. And I'm always so bad with title. So I was like, yeah, what song is, are you talking about? But when I hear it, I was like, oh, it's like, well, I, I would like the thanks to Sunday radio stations because they always play classic songs on right. Sundays. Uh-huh. And that's when I get to hear the this amazing classic songs that are just yeah. so wonderful. And yeah. I don't know, I'm a millennial, but I always prefer <laughs> this 1960s song, 1970s, 1980s. Uh, those songs are just amazing. Uh, I really, really appreciate well, it. You know also, Elizabeth, I think, um, you know, there's always this, this uh, I don't know if it's controversy, but this, this conversation about whether life imitates art or art imitates life. Or I, I think it kind of ebbs and flows between the two concepts. And, and though that, those, the periods you're talking about, you know, it's, uh, it, it's like I'm going through a, a heavy-duty uh, 3040s um, uh, music uh, reflection at this point. Uh, I'm finding great uh, power and strength in that music. Uh, and I've almost kind of purposefully gone to that era 
because uh, I'm trying to listen to stuff that was written during the Depression and the Second World War, because uh, and and to both of those events in our history, I say to everyone now, you think you got it bad now, go check that out for a minute, you know. So, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to check it out. So, I guess it's human nature. Whenever you're doing bad, you want to check out somebody who's doing worse so you can feel better about feeling bad. So, so I, <laughs> I, makes sense. I've been listening to, the, to that material, right? So I've been listening to that material and, and finding, oh, wow, here's how artists were depicting this time. Here's how they were trying to get people to, to, to cheer up or let's get down in the dregs together. You know, let's just all cry together. Let's let me write something that addresses that. Let's let's address the pain. Let's address the rejuvenation. You know, happy days are here again. Perfect example. I just mentioned that song. I'll never forget when Barbara Streisand came on the scene and did that song and slowed it down. That's kind of what I'm talking about. That song was written for the time. It was written for the rhythm of the time. And it was written about the time. It's right after the First World War. So you got a tempo that's happy days are here again. The skies are bright. <laughs> we, we need, we, we, we need that song again. for 2021, Patty. Yeah, that's our uh, 2021 okay. song. <laughs> 2021. Yeah, yeah, 2021 song. But so that was the song. There's the song. It's coming out of a war. Everything is happy, happy, happy. Here comes Barbara Streisand. Happy days are here again. The sky, you know, different song, same song, different song, different tempo, different. Oh, those words are in there flying by because that's what they wanted to do at that time because that was the rhythm of that time. And so that's how that, that song was written. But there's another song in there. Ha ha. And that's what she found. She found that jewel and made it her own and told that story in a different way at a different time. Really good material spans time. There, it is timeless. It has no expiration date on it. So that's kind of, kind of the reason that I've been going back and listening to, to uh, older things. Right. Did you guys lose me? Nope. We, oh, we okay. Yeah, that's why that's why I've been listening to, to, to that period. But the period that you're talking about, Elizabeth, was just think of what was going on when the stuff that you love was mm-hmm. written. <laughs> Maybe that's like a whole, that's kind of a story in itself. What was going on when the music you were, that you are gravitating to now, it's not from this time. What was going on at that time that made, what made Marvin Gaye write what's going on? She, she wasn't you know? born yet. She wasn't born yet. We need to <laughs> fill in the. No, but I, but I'm saying I'm yeah. saying different writers at different times. You yes. know what made Beethoven write what he wrote when oh. he wrote what he wrote. Oh yeah. It's, so you want to go back to the driving force for for these things, for this music, for the art, for the dance, for the mm-hmm. theater. What kind of plays were being written? What kind of musical? What was on Broadway in in 1922? You know, whatever whatever that is, and what was going on in the world at that time? Because you'll find that the music will either reflect it or drive it or or create an idea that's not even there yet. And and uh, so it's it, it. I love hearing you say that you, you find that to be a very rich period that uh, that you gravitate towards from your generation 
because of the simplicity of it. And there was kind of a, because uh, we had just come out of a very, very erudite uh, period lyrically. You're talking about, you know, Cole Porter and the Gershwins. And this, this was clever, 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 clever lyric writing, brilliant lyric writing. Yeah. And then that got simplified just because of the culture. The culture became more simplified, less formal. Uh, and, and then the language took the same journey. And so when you hear something written uh, uh, in the 70s uh, by Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, they're just cutting to the chase, lyrically. Yeah. <laughs> like, here's where we are. There's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there telling me I got to beware. It's time to stop, children. What's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. You know, so you take that from Cole Porter, you know, zoom, 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 zoom. The world is in a mess. Right. It's brilliant stuff, but it's, it's a wonderful uh, footnote to history. And sometimes it is the note to history. So you're not just listening. You're never just listening to music. You're listening to life when you listen to music. So one of the other songs you performed that night was Love Train. And you had everybody leap out of their seats, wiggle their hips, shake their fists in the air. Um, you know, so the OJs had that song um, and made it a hit in 1972. So it's another song that's lasted for, you know, for decades and will continue. Um, and when they wrote it, it, it they intentionally <laughs> different countries. And so again, it's another song that was aiming to penetrate borders. Yep. Yep. How in yep. the world did you pick that song and you um, let Amanda sing that with you, which was so, so wonderful as a sort of a duet and you got the whole audience singing? Because it's another, it's another anthem. And it's, you know, we've talked about like heart and soul love and, and where we need to go with what the world needs now. And then we go into Love Train because, again, you know, kind of taking you on that roller coaster ride. I've gotten to the, the heart of who I am. I'm so, ugh, I'm in this ugh, place. But guess what? I got a way to get you all the way back up and down. And the minute you start singing that song, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. I'll tell you, people don't realize how many anthems the OJs had. <laughs> and I didn't realize how many anthems they had until we did a cruise together. And I went to their show. I love doing cruises. I hate them, but I love them, if that makes any sense. The reason I love them is because the, usually the way they're scheduled, you're out at sea for a week and, you, and the ship is full of amazingly talented people. And you usually have some holes in your schedule because you're not doing a show every, every day uh, where you can go see other artists perform. And so the OJs and I did a tour together and, and uh, it was me and the OJs and Lettucey and Kurt, uh, not, uh, um, uh, Fred Hampton and uh, just an amazing bunch of, of artists, okay? Lettuce, did I mention Lettuce? Lettuce was on it. Um, and we were just having a ball. And uh, I was checking out everybody's shows and I went to see the OJs and it was literally two hours of nothing but anthems. <laughs> the, you know, they got, a, they got a, a song about me. I love music. <laughs> That's just, you know, they, they, every song was a hit. It was about love. It was about music. It was about breaking up with your woman. It was about trying to get a woman. It was, 
<laughs> it was about uh, uh, mo- money for the love of money. Money, 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 money. What? Give me a break. These guys wrote about everything that was going on around them. Uh, like I can't, I, I can't even describe what they did. They just went through a tremendously prolific period where all of the material was just like, you know, it's like uh, looking at a, 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 a the Daily News. It's like reading a, a newspaper every day. That's the kind of material they were writing. So again, I went into that gene pool and said, oh, no, we got to, after I saw their show, I was like taking mental notes. Oh, yeah, we got to do that song. We got to do that song. As a matter of fact, we need to do an OJ's tribute album, you know, because this stuff is so right for now. So right and right for this moment. So I knew that Love Train had this marvelous significance to, for everybody from my generation. And if you're uh, the next generation uh, uh, back, uh, you're going to remember that song. If you're younger, if you're older, you're going to remember that song. Even if you don't like really remember it, it was somewhere in the back. It was some underscoring for your life at some point in time from the day that the record came out until today. And it doesn't matter the generation of the audience. I have very eclectic audiences that come to see my shows and they're all ages. And it did not matter what the age was. Everybody was on their feet. And even if they didn't recognize the tune, how many times do you have to hear people all over the world? Georgians, Scotland, love train, love train. How many times do you have to hear that before you're in? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Unless you're dead. You <laughs> Unless know? you're dead. So it's really simple. It's just simple stuff. It was, you know? Yeah, it's, it's funny because I was editing the video like last week. And I was right. like, oh. Oh my God, this is so good. I was dancing. <laughs> 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 it's the first time I've ever heard of it. Uh, you know, Patty, right? Jazz. Oh my God. And the band, it's so amazing. I can't wait to put it on our YouTube. So for you guys who are listening, go check out our YouTube channel. Yeah. All of these videos, the songs that we're talking about here, will leave on our YouTube channel. The band was definitely jamming that night. And I have got to tell you that we went and did a hang. And Dawn knows I'm not a, a hanger after the show kind of person. But we were all so fired up from that song, mostly. <laughs> I don't know about the rest of the show, but we were so fired up from that song. Everybody was like dancing across the street to the restaurant, uh, just like uh, just on fire from from that moment it was it was amazing the guys in my band were all they're all very picky eh, it was all right grouchy picky guys i love them all and 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 uh just they were just on fire they were happy we were excited it was a great show i'm so glad that you got got that for posterity because um um for posterity and prosperity <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it, it was a fun fun night and i'm glad that we have that uh have it on tape to go back and look at and say oh that's what a fun night looks like <laughs> yeah it sounds that way um, yeah. that that's yeah that's a really positive song for sure and i'm sure it was a great way to end um speaking of ending though we're pulling our train into the station now and Ooh, i want to hear <laughs> you better be smooth alice uh, you no. better be smooth 
<laughs> I want to hear about uh, the Over My Shoulder song because I hear that every week, just editing the, the podcast, and I like it. <laughs> what is the story you. with Over My Shoulder song? We're trying to torture you with Over My Shoulder. I'm going to let Dawn take over older my sh- Over My Shoulder because she is the beginning of that story, and who to tell it better than the actual person that like made, brought life to this. The, the birther. I, I gave this birth. is the woman that gave birth. You gave birth to this song, woman. Oh, this, that's your <laughs> baby, Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's Dawn's baby. Well, you know, really, truly, I was just a conduit to another one of Patty's amazing stories. Um, you know, and the... <laughs> That's a good name for a show. Patty's Amazing Story. I'm sorry. Lightning Rod Patty. (laughs) You're killing me. Okay, go on. Please, don't start. The story was just so much fun because, you know, many, many, many years ago when I was working with Patty and I was working with Barry Orms and, you know, I was young, fresh and crazy. Crazy and would, and I'd probably up way too late. I probably hadn't been to bed yet, but part of the the gig, as you say it, was to make sure Patty had everything she needed when interviews were happening. And I didn't pay attention the day before as to what was happening the next day. I came in very blurry-eyed and a little um, dazed and confused. And there was a woman saying she didn't want care about music. She didn't want to talk about Patty's music. She wanted to talk about mentoring. And I freaked out because I had never heard the word before. Elizabeth, you could believe it or not, you could not Google in these days because there was no internet. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. And, and, you know, if I remember it correctly, it's probably embellished because it's a better story. I remember Patty just rolling around and being totally disgusted at this mess that walked through the door and was supposed to be helping her look good. And, you know, this woman came in and said, let's talk about mentoring. And Patty went into this outrage, you know, where she said she was born with certain gifts. Her parents helped nurture those gifts. But it was her mentors who brought her um, to this career that was able to stand the test of time and go on. And um, so immediately I was saying, I need a mentor. What's a mentor? Give me one. And I was trying to look at Patty. Like my Roy Cohen. Yeah. And, you know, when it was over, Patty, I think, rolled her eyes and looked at me and said, oh, my God, this girl's useless. She doesn't even know what's going on, you know. And afterwards, you know, I really, it was it was amazing because, you know, we, um, we, you know, Patty was a star. I was a young kid. And you, you just never forgot the story. So then, you know, years later, Barry, who's always encouraged me to write and in his own way has always been such a great mentor, was expressing concern and frustration about not being able to find authentic and appropriate material for a 13-year-old girl to sing. And everything was coming in raunchy and everything was too right us adults to sink our teeth into. And so we need to find a subject matter. And it was so easy because I went right back to that day and, you know, that hungover day that I had with Patty. (laughs) And and I said, well, let's just write a duet with Patty to sing this girl because this girl has something that Patty can learn from and vice versa. So it was very um, quickly came together with the assistance of a great songwriter here in Boston, Charlie Farron. And another great songwriter, Bryn Ahrens, who um, in the Midwest, Minnesota, I think. And um, we got the we whipped the song together, and we did it all behind Patty's back, which is a no-no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Now the story comes out. In, <laughs> <laughs> you must do everything in front of Patty's front, never behind Patty's back. Remember that. 
the great storytellings in a faraway place in the hills two songwriters and a wannabe conspire in a studio to write a song for Grammy Award winner Patty. Patty's back. <laughs> Sounds like a good Netflix series to me. <laughs> it really does. We scrambled and then we thought we were really good and she's like, oh, this is so good. She's going to sing this song and she's going to love it. And, you know, so we did all this without her really knowing anything about it. And then we left it to Barry to say, you give it to her. <laughs> <laughs> you make me sound like a rented queen. <laughs> we truly, you know, Waiting in my chamber to hack your head off. <laughs> what do you bring me today? What pittance do you bring me today? <laughs> And we have a couple different versions of the song, by the way, but the one that speaks to entering in an appropriate way, you know, is really just trying to find something that would inspire people um, and kind of move them to greater confidence and expression, um, you know, try to enforce self-esteem and self-worth. And it was, you know, it was a big package, but watching Patty and Liana, the young lady that sang it with her perform it, um, we, we did a performance that was a world broadcast um, as part of the Martin Luther King celebration here in Boston. Boston, uh, right. Oh, wow. I forgot that. Wow. Right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that was amazing. Our whole, our whole foundation. That was amazing. Didn't we do... Oh my goodness, I just remembered I yelled at children when we did that. And <laughs> and I felt guilty about yelling at them for I don't know, maybe about 3 or 4 seconds, and then I was okay with it. Um we were rehearsing Wow, I haven't thought about this since it happened. We were rehearsing a a, a reenactment of uh um a civil rights march. I think they were doing like a reenactment there was like, didn't they have like a big screen in the middle of the stage? Yeah, it was, and it was with the Boston Children's Choir. And the Boston we, Children's Choir was getting ready to do We Shall Overcome or something like that. And they walked, the idea was that they were supposed to be walking on and, and then going into this song from the civil rights movement. And they were all kind of, they were very stoic about it and very kind of... Uh, uh, you know, not not caring, and it's a group, so it was less racial and more generational. Yeah. And I remember going completely bananas on them because there was just like this kind of deadness because there wasn't a screen in front of them. There was a yeah. person, and they had to be a person. And this generation has a very difficult time with that because everything, and we have helped. Uh, fortify this mentality of uh, of image 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 it's all about image and aesthetic and how do i look and how does it look and i don't look cool if i react i have to be as stoic as possible <clears throat> damn near robotic and i went crazy on these kids it's like do you understand what was going on <laughs> <laughs> when this song was sung <laughs> I sounded like, what is the comedian that used to talk like that? God rest his soul. Uh, Sam Kinison. I sounded like Sam Kinison. And I was like leaning over in my trench coat, screaming at these children. <laughs> or actually I was looking because I was on the floor and they were up on the stage. 
And all of a sudden, these eyes got really big. And I said, let's do it again. <laughs> like you made it. <laughs> and, they did it, and they did it again. And it was better. It was not much, but a little bit. It amped them up a little bit. But, but it was, I understood. But, you know, it's funny. I've been on the receiving end of those situations as an artist, where somebody wants you to put out real hard uh, at a rehearsal. And you don't understand it till you walk in those moccasins. You have to, if you're directing something, at least once see what it might look like. <laughs> <laughs> if everybody does a performance. And it's hard to do a performance without an audience. Which is why you see so much television, so many people on TV freaking out because of this new medium that has been created by COVID. I digress a little, but this has been a big discussion on my end of the world uh, with artists trying to figure out how to do stuff without an audience in front of them. Changes the dynamic, you know? Yeah. When, you, mm -hmm. when, yeah. You're, talking, when you're talking to yourself. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just saw um, an article about your friend, Martin Ibera, here in the Philippines, and he what? said that... Give me the he, dirt. Tell me everything. He missed, he missed the audience. You know, he missed the... For yes. him, the clap yeah. of the audience is a music right. to the artist's ear. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yes, I've had that discussion with so many artists. I, on the other hand, <laughs> do not care. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized that, no, I realized the reason I don't care is because of my beloved parents, who, when I was a very, very, very small child, kind of taught me how to play. So to me, this is just another way. And, and the way they did that was by leaving me to my own devices and telling me, oh, one day I said to my mother, I'm so bored. I didn't really know what it meant, but I had seen some friends say it and it looked very effective. So I went home and tried to use it on my mother. I said, oh, mom, I'm so bored. And she said, honey, only boring people get bored. <laughs> you need to find something to do. Okay. So I did. And here we are in a time when you need to find something to do. And yeah. there's lots of stuff that I, that I can do. And I am very challenged by the situation that we're dis disgusting. Dis disgusting. That was a Freudian slip that we're discussing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, no, but, but it's, <laughs> it's, um, it's interesting trying to figure out how do I appeal to somebody if there's nobody there to, to to bounce off of you know poor Barry I must admit he gets a lot of he, he's really been a more than a sounding board he's been like one of those walls that you do uh, practice your backhand on out of, <laughs> out of the tennis court because I just beat him up every day with material but because uh, there's no place to try anything out so now you must be bold and throw yourself out there and uh, to the world you know you get online you're on you're in the world you're not just addressing a small audience you're going to have a certain amount of people watching what you do. And so to me, it's challenging to figure out how to do that, try to maintain some integrity, not end up on Pornhub, not end up on the pole. <laughs> you never I'm know. I'm just trying to not you end up know. on the pole at 70. It's very scary, guys. <laughs> scary. They're more than the horses if I get on the pole. It's so, true. I'm just it's true. <laughs> hey, thanks, Alex. You're supposed to defend my, defend my anatomy. Well, Didn't you we know. start out that way today you, my anatomy? You, you know, on the internet, you, who knows what people <laughs> like? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I'm scared. Yeah, I'm really scared. You had to bring that up. Oh, man. But uh, <laughs> speaking of the internet, um, yeah. the, the, uh, the Cabot 
we mentioned this last week, but the Cabot has a page there where you can sign up for their virtual event on December 3rd. But In keeping with adaptation, right? The exactly. There you go. Exactly. That's and right. You make it work. Make, <laughs> make it, work. it work. And they also yeah. have um, a streaming service that will be released soon. So if our listeners want to well, hear the songs that Patty performed that we talked about, just go to the cabot.org website, sign up, and then be alerted as to when they launch their streaming device or the streaming service. Trust me, it will be an inspirational journey. <laughs> I think so. I say that in my native tongue. I am not mocking this accent. This is the one I was born with, okay? <laughs> what are you looking at? Take a picture of it lasts longer. I grew up in Long Island, okay? So I'm going right back to my roots. Very straightforward. People from Long Island, very straightforward. Everybody from Long Island, I want you to watch this. You will love it. And if I went to school with you, you know, I, I got to tell you, this is absolutely true. I went through a period, I'd say maybe 20, 30 years ago, where no matter where I worked on the planet Earth, from Tunisia to Beijing, someone would get backstage that I had gone to high school with. Isn't that funny? It became a joke. The guys in my band found out about it, and it just became a joke. Somebody would come backstage, and inevitably, somebody from the backstage crew would say, "Ms. Austin, there's someone here to see you." They said they, and the and the whole band would say in unison, "Don't tell us." They said they went to high school. <laughs> they said they went to Bayshore High School with her, right? Yeah, and the guys were like, "Oh yeah, right, yeah, bring them in. Let's see this one." <laughs> because now, is that crazy? Crazy. My uh, uh, from freshman up, you know, I would have. Uh, people that would come in and say, I went to high school with you, or my, my sister was uh, um, in, in senior class with you, and blah, 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 blah. Now, it hasn't happened for a long time, but I went through a period. I wonder what that means. Something about that group, that generation of people. I graduated in 68. I know there are a lot of you out there. Can you hear me, people? Come on, you little old farts. Did <laughs> uh, we ever think, by the way, that we were going to be considered old farts? No, this is the generation that said, no, no, we're the new 40, those of us <laughs> that are 70. Right. Right. Which means, a... actually, Elizabeth, that would make you totally embryonic. If, you know, embryonic. Yeah. <laughs> Just a thought. Yeah. Just a thought. Not even. <laughs> yeah. Life starts. You're Generation is not even a thought. <laughs> yeah, life starts at 70. And when you turn 80, life starts at 80 until you turn yeah, to right. 100. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Wow. This is such an amazing storytelling. Um, you know, Patty is such a good storyteller. We should have like a show of Patty. We'll just watch her <laughs> share yeah. Hence, I had the I've had the nickname my entire life of Chatty Patty. But that's oh. <laughs> yeah, I came by it very honest. I was doing a session one, one day, uh, a jingle session, and uh, the producer came out and put duct tape uh, across my mouth. <laughs> it it and and all I could do was laugh. I could not be angry because. <laughs> I deserved it. I deserved a, 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 a multi-duct taping because I was just prattling on. That, that's what I want on my tombstone. She prattled on. <laughs> what do you think? 
<laughs> that works. Does we're, not we're, say at all. We're, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna save the, we're gonna save uh, those prattles for an upcoming episodes for additional content. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you're getting a little too smooth with this, Alex. I don't know. You're growing. So, you're growing into a monster before my eyes. <laughs> right. As we land this rocket ship. That's the crash landing, by the way. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. I watch too many Ridley Scott movies. I'm, I'm messed up over here, people. Well, you know, that's what you do when we're, we're locked down, right? We watch a lot of exactly. movies. Exactly. You watch Ridley Scott. Doesn't yeah. everybody? Ridley Scott and Stanley Kubrick. It sounds like a song. Ridley Scott and Stanley Kubrick. It sounds like an English drinking song. You have a cup and then you'll be a wit. It's one of those Disney, you know, at the bar, at the, at the pub songs. There you go. Ridley Scott and Stanley Kubrick. We leave where we started. <laughs> All right. Wow, it's amazing. Um, Oh my God, Patty, thank you so much for all of the amazing stories. Um, and for all of our listeners, thank you for staying with us. And I hope that you enjoy this podcast. And if you want to learn more stories from Miss Patty, subscribe and listen to our following podcast. We are releasing um, episodes every Monday. So don't forget to subscribe <laughs> and again check out our youtube channel all of the songs and videos that we talked about during this episode will be there and please support us by subscribing to our channel um guys do you have any <laughs> last words <laughs> oh, yes, right? i have last words i have last words damn it this is the translation <laughs> of what elizabeth just said in beautiful flowering english here you go I want to thank you for putting up with that idiot, Patty Austin. That's pretty much what she just said. <laughs> First, I want to thank you for putting up with goofy Patty. And second, I want to thank you for hanging out for it because you must be really bored. Okay? Isn't that what you really meant to say, Elizabeth? <laughs> no, it's not. I, I enjoyed your story. Hey, look, I'm fawning, for, I'm fawning for compliments. Work with me. Oh, it's just horrible. To hear you talk about me, Elizabeth. Way. You know what I call Patty and I? Yeah, what? We're the decaying divas. You're supposed to Dawn, that would make us double D's. Okay, <laughs> double Dawn, I'm sorry. <laughs> don't, don't, ladies, ladies, don't forget that you're supposed to be over my shoulder for Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, sorry about that. Uh-oh. Well, that's the end of that. That's the end of that rumor. All right, everybody. I must say that I'll be listening to songs probably in another an hour. Oh, <laughs> I love it. That's I'm great. I'm kind of curious of what the OJ's uh, songs are. And I want you to dig in today. Have a, uh, an OJ dig-in day. And I'm telling you, you will end this day so happy. It's it's just great music, great music. They're amazing. Awesome. Hail the OJs. That's a great that's a great call to action. All right, everybody, go digging right. with the OJs. OJ oh, yeah. digging day. <laughs> OJ digging day. All right, Alex, you nailed it. That's beautiful. Until next Monday. Until next Mentor Monday. Y'all have a great day. All right. Perfect. Have a great day, guys. Hey, Thank you. Bye. Have a great day, Patty. And you better have a safe hike, or you and I are gonna argue. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Enjoy your hike. Thank you, guys. Bye, guys. Love Bye, you all. Love, Love you me. all. Bye. <laughs> Bye, Don.